This is DNA and the podcast bringing you the latest science and innovation in DNA and our health. Welcome to the very first episode of DNA and we have loads of exciting episodes coming in season one. In today's episode, we have an introduction to DNA and your health. We'll chat about how the science of DNA is transforming healthcare towards prediction, prevention, and personalized medicine. So before we talk more about DNA, let's introduce ourselves. Yes, so I'm Dr. Hannah Maud. I'm one half of your hosts, and I work as a research associate at Imperial College London. And for a little bit of context, my work specializes in researching the role of DNA in fatty liver, diabetes, and other health conditions. And I'm Angelos Manoyas, a PhD student at Imperial College London, where I investigate the contribution of DNA, but also proteins and other small molecules in understanding and predicting cardiometabolic disease. So we're super excited to share this podcast with you. Angelos is nodding. We've called it DNA and because each episode will feature DNA and a different aspect of human health. We try to make this podcast for all people with an interest in the topic, so you don't need to be an expert in genetics. Maybe you're an A-level biology student who wants to know more about DNA, or you read an article and you want to know more about it, or maybe you just found us through TikTok. Either way, welcome to DNA and... In this season, we have episodes on the UK sequencing the DNA of newborn babies to screen for rare diseases, DNA and how well drugs work for you. That's medicinal drugs, by the way. Don't want anyone getting the wrong idea. (laughs) Of course. Um, DNA and COVID-19, DNA and fertility, and our season finale on DNA and gene therapy. And I'm quite excited about that one because gene therapy is making the idea of curing diseases science fact rather than just science fiction. So that should be a good one. Yeah, that's very nicely put. And DNA is metaphorically the language of life, but quite literally, DNA stands for deoxyribose nucleic acid, and it is a polymer, effectively a chemical alphabet, which is made from four letters, A, C, T, and G, from which all life is created. We now have the technology to read it, to edit it, and even write with it. And in this podcast, we'll be talking in detail about how we interpret it to better understand our own health. Yes, so I think we're both very big fans of DNA, but our listeners might not know that although we know all about DNA now, and that being the unit of heredity, so that's how traits are passed down between generations, back in the day, Mm -hmm. thousands of years ago, when that wasn't known, there were some other theories. There was one called preformationism. I don't know if you know about it. Oh, yeah, I've heard about it. It's a theory about the small humans inside the sperm of bigger humans. Every future human already exists, but as teeny tiny versions in sperm. It was a little bit sexist, actually. And to be fair, if I saw a woman giving birth to a baby, I would say, oh, the baby was already there. Yes, well, we are very modern thinkers. (laughs) Through this podcast, we want to start a conversation about healthcare in the, quote, genomics era to help you, our listeners, understand how DNA is being used right now to save lives. What research is ongoing and how will it help you and your future generations? What will happen to your personal data? Who will have access to it? And what's possible in the future? We believe it's important that the science is accessible and well explained, and that as many people as possible can participate in the discussion and have a voice in how the system develops. Yeah, so at this point, we should also say that we will be presenting this from the perspective of scientists, of course, but we will also be joined by guests to share their insight throughout the episodes. Yes, that's a good point. 
We also want to answer your questions, your concerns, and hear what topics you would be interested in learning more about. So please do talk to us on social media. You can find our links in the show notes, and we encourage Twitter users to tweet us your thoughts on DNA and pod, with and spelled A-N-D and a capital P for pod. We are grateful for support from the UK Genetic Society, who also have a fabulous podcast called Genetics Unzipped, with all sorts of stories about DNA. You can find the Genetic Society on Twitter at GenSocUK. So the main aim for episode one, this episode, is to make sure we're all on the same page. So we're going to give a quick crash course in DNA and how it's important for our health. We're also going to introduce Genome UK, which is the UK government's policy strategy for making the UK, and I quote, the most advanced genomic healthcare service in the world. I think Genome UK is a great example for episode one because it really defines the aim to transform healthcare towards prediction and prevention and away from acute intervention, which means treating after symptoms have developed. Yeah, it's a really interesting read, actually. I'd recommend it. So let's first give everyone some context on the scale of DNA research in the UK. Yeah, right. So some examples, we have the UK Biobank, which contains the health records and DNA information from half a million participants. Oh, yeah, the UK Biobank. That's an incredible resource for scientists. But if we're talking about numbers, I think probably the most impressive project is the new one called Our Future Health. Good point. Our Future Health is currently recruiting 5 million people across the UK to track connections between DNA and health outcomes. I guess the name of the project kind of gives that away, right? Yeah, it does. Our Future (laughs) Health. (laughs) Okay, so on the topic of current projects, there's also the Newborn Genome Screening Project, and that's going to be the topic for episode two. And that project will see 100,000 newborn babies in the UK having their DNA tested over the next few years. So I hope that we've given everyone some motivation for sticking around and learning more. But since this is episode one, let's rewind and talk about DNA. Yes. Okay. so let's start with the basics. DNA is, like I said before, effectively the language that creates all life. I guess we can think of it as a unique category of language, right? We have natural languages like English, we have Greek being two examples, and then we have programming languages like R and Python. And, and of course, we have DNA, the language of life. Oh, yeah, I like to say that I speak English, R and Python. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Well, you do speak Bash, right? Yeah, some Bash. And I'm going to be learning Julia. That's a new one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I like to say that because I don't I wasn't very good at languages at school. So I wouldn't be very useful as a human translator. But I can talk to computers. Well, I guess you can write to computers like uh, you're typing your code, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't yeah. think you're just actually speaking your code to, to a computer. No, that's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to DNA. So the basic building blocks of DNA are just four letters, A, C, T, and G. The English alphabet has 26 letters, yeah. right? So a four-letter alphabet, which encodes literal human beings, well, technically every living creature. Yeah, that's right. And it evolved like this, if you think about it. And this complete DNA of an individual is called their genome, right? If you're not familiar with the term genome, it comes from the word gene, which originates from the Greek word uh, genos, meaning birth. And your genome is made up from two matching genomes, actually half genomes, one from your father and one from your mother. Ah, so say that again, the, the gene. Oh, genos, yeah. Genos. Genos, yeah, so, it means birth. So instead of genome, should we say genome? Well, it would be more accurate in Greek, but I just can't say genome. No, that (laughs) sounds so wrong. (laughs) It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. We'll stick with genome for now. Although the Greek word 
proper genome is gonidioma. I'm not going to try that one. Yeah, but it has the om suffix mm. in both languages. I'm learning yeah. a lot in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> you're learning both Greek, Julia, Bas, R, Python, and English. <laughs> you're going to be a linguist. Wow, cool. So we all have our own genomes, not genomes, genomes today, <laughs> which you can think of as your personal instruction manual. So I have my genome, you, Angelos, have your genome, and everyone listening, you have your genome. Yeah, I do actually have a genome. And fun fact, the human genome is three billion letters long. And if you printed that in size 12 font, it would stretch from here, London, to maybe beyond Athens, where I'm from. It's right? massive, isn't it? I know. It? Actually, my new word for today, it's humongous. Right. The human genome Very is good. humongous. Right. Can and you say that in Python? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have to figure that one out. Okay, and this is another interesting fact. Every cell in your body has a complete copy of your genome. So, for example, if you pick any cell, like a cell in your muscle, it has the full copy of the whole three billion letters. So the entire instruction manual to make you a human is in the muscle, but only the instructions for how to make the muscle are switched on. Everything else is switched off. In yeah, that's right. And since you mentioned muscle... It would be another fun fact. You see, like, first episode of DNA and it's fun facts one fun after fact another. <laughs> yeah. So the fun fact about muscle cells is that they have a lot of nuclei in, their, in, in the actual cell. So every nucleus has a copy of the genome. So they actually have a lot of genomes, not just one, right? Ah, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. And actually, I think it's the opposite with um, red blood cells. Oh, right? yeah, they're the one that don't have... Nuclei, I suppose, is the plural. Yeah, yeah so, lots so of essentially, oxygen, lucky for us. No genome. <laughs> yep. And uh, we said three billion letters. And like you said, you get one half from your mum and your dad. So it's technically, we call it mm -hmm. three billion base pairs. Yep. Another good point to make. So our job as geneticists is often to look for a mutation or a one letter change in the DNA, which is causing a disease. So you can think about trying to find one letter in three billion is like finding a needle in a haystack. So I like to think I'm basically a DNA detective. So so in this episode, we're learning you're a linguist, a DNA detective, <laughs> yeah. and you can just all sum it up as a, I don't know, a computational geneticist. Yeah, yeah if yeah, you want to get I technical, guess. I yeah. think I prefer <laughs> DNA detectives. Actually, well. um, so we're going to be at the Great Exhibition Road Festival in June. Yeah. And uh, we were writing up the proposal for that. And another term that came up was genome general. Genome general, no, like. it sounds way too, like... Oh, you don't like? Um, It sounds, how can I say it? it sounds military to start Maybe. with. Uh, Way more, you know, direct. I'm a genome general. I'm a genome general. If we make the comparison with biology, which part of the cell is the genome general? Oh, me. Oh, you are the... Okay. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, of course. Okay, well, everybody, please tweet us if you have any more good ideas for um, what to call us other than geneticist, which, of course, is very formal, but very accurate. Yeah, but we are geneticists, and I like to call myself a bioinformatician. So it may be just four letters, but each part of the DNA can be interpreted in different ways. And it all interacts and codes for different networks and can be switched on or off at specific times. And if you think about it, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah, so maybe everyone can tell by now that DNA is kind of our favorite topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I personally have a lot of the DNA-themed jewelry. Oh, no, I'm not wearing my DNA ring today, but I do most days, and my necklace. And uh, yeah, I have lots of stickers and general merch. So hopefully we'll share some of this enthusiasm with our listeners. 
If you want to know more about the history of DNA, we'll be having a competition on our Twitter page, at DNA and Pod, to win a popular science novel called The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee, which is an excellent book, so please do check that out. Yeah, so we talked about DNA as a language, but as I said before, it's important to remember that it's an actual molecule. Again, DNA stands for deoxyribose nucleic acid. So as a natural molecule, it can get damaged by things like UV light and certain chemicals, for example, in cigarettes, right? Cigarettes? Who would have yeah. thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, I thought they were healthy. Like, they're not? No, no, oh. everybody mm. take that on board. <laughs> but uh, this will feature in the next part of our episode, not the cigarettes, but the damage to <laughs> DNA, where we will discuss how changes to DNA can influence our health. And we'll talk more about this genomic healthcare revolution. So stay tuned. Yep. So let's talk more about how DNA can influence our health. We've given the analogy of the genome as being our instruction manual, and that's a good place to start, right? Oh, have you been to the Welcome Collection? I haven't been yet. Oh, so no. it's in Euston Square. Yeah. would really recommend it, but if you go to the Welcome Collection, there's an exhibit called The Library of the Human Genome, and it's an actual bookshelf with a full human genome. Well, I think it's almost complete, but that would be three billion letters, so it's most of them <laughs> printed in massive books full of these teeny tiny letters. Oh, right. So not size 12 font. Definitely not size 12 font. So it wouldn't font. stretch to Athens. No, right. no, that, okay. that would take up a lot of space. So this was from the Human Genome Project, right? It started in 1990 and ran until 2003 and was the first time a complete human genome was read. I think it cost like under $3 billion. Yeah, dollars, that and is. That's, yeah, that's US dollars, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and nowadays it's possible to sequence someone's genome. So using our analogy, read that person's entire instruction manual from start to end for less than $600. So just think about that. In 20 years, it's gone from $3 billion to $600, and the cost is still going down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could say it's the reverse of the housing market. Oh, Oh, no, don't like, cause, say cause that. Because the, the prices keep going down. Uh, yeah. So, so in a few years, I'd be oh. able to sequence my DNA, but don't afford housing. Yeah, it's a bit depressing. Well, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's just leave it for now. Oh, sorry for reminding everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so if you compare the DNA or the genomes between any two humans, they will have, on average, only one difference every 1,000 DNA letters. So we share 999 DNA letters for every one that's different. So we're really similar. We are very similar, but at the same time, we're not. And all these differences we see amongst people, they're all caused by this 0.1% of variation in the DNA. Yeah. So we are 99.9% .9 the same. We are. <laughs> we are. But <laughs> so different at the same time. So going back to our health, right? Differences between our DNA, which we also call DNA variants, cause variation in things like height and eye color, but also in the internal things. So things we cannot see, like how your body responds to certain foods or drugs or how much fat it is stored, how well it adapts to high cholesterol or how efficiently your organs may or may not work, like your heart or your liver. Yeah, so let's give an example of where DNA can change and it affects your health. So the point to make here is that most of the DNA 
can actually change without large consequences, the majority of it. And there can be some changes which have small consequences, for example, change in your blood group. So you have blood groups A and B, and these are changes in the DNA which change the proteins on the surface of the red blood cells. But there can be very rare changes to the DNA in a few specific places which have these very large consequences and cause rare diseases. So one example would be haemophilia. And uh, this is quite famous, actually, because it affected some of Queen Victoria's children. It's a royal illness. Yes, the royal illness. And the consequences of this are sadly that patients suffer from extended and sometimes uncontrollable bleeding because the change in the DNA disrupts the instructions which basically tell the blood how to clot. Yeah, and these differences, we call them DNA mutations. And it's easy to think about them as the bad guys because for sure they can cause health conditions But mutations exist because they introduce variation into a population. And in that way, they have acted as the driving force of evolution. True. And I think it's also important to say that our DNA is very robust. And like I said before, most of the letters can be changed or mutated without any consequences. So we don't need to be afraid of mutations. So with the book analogy, most of the time you could change a letter. So actually most of the characters are just white spaces between the words. And they're not that important, right? But also with the words, you could kind of go in and pick a letter and change it and most of the time you'll still be able to read the sentence just fine like it won't change the interpretation but you can imagine that there would be a few examples where you would change a letter and it changes the meaning of the word or it would disrupt the sentence to the point that it just doesn't make sense anymore yeah another analogy would be us writing scripts to analyze dna in our daily lives and then we use the wrong character somewhere in the script and then the whole job fails oh no don't get me started like putting the bracket in the wrong place and then your whole day is ruined i know oh no um but mutations aren't just single letter changes that's one example we call them single nucleotide variants but they can also be larger so you can get for example with our analogy, a whole sentence being deleted. We call them insertions, deletions, and larger deletions called a structural variance or copy number variance. So they're not just those single letter changes. Yeah, so on this point, DNA changes or mutations, as we said, can occur in two main ways. The first one is errors when the DNA is copied. So this is why we like to call them typos. For context, each newborn baby gets around six random DNA changes out of six billion letters being copied from both parents. So the error rate is one in a billion. That's really accurate. Yeah, it's incredibly low. Mutations can also be triggered by things in the environment, which we call mutagens. Now, we gave the examples of excess UV light and smoking before, but mutagens are quite common, right? For example, air pollution is a mutagen. Yeah. Or breathing asbestos is a mutagen. And actually, mutagens are very popular in science fiction. For example, in the Marvel Universe, the Hulk is exposed to gamma radiation and instead of suffering third-degree burns... Oh, no. Well, yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. The Hulk could be a bit different then. His <laughs> DNA changes and gives him superpowers. Isn't that oh, amazing? Wouldn't that be nice? We could, oh, be Spider-Man nice. gets bitten by a spider. A radioactive spider. But yeah. what superpower would you have? Uh, I would like to teleport. Oh, that would be really handy. That would be very efficient, I would actually. quite like not to commute. <laughs> not to commute. Yeah, that, that's a superpower on its own. What superpower would you like to have? I think it would have to be uh, shape-shifting, oh. like Raven, oh, Mystique yeah, in the yeah, X-Men. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I like cool. that. From the X-Men, which were also mutants, right? Yeah. And a- another popular movie franchise basing its whole story on DNA. Yeah, fun fact. Fun fact day. Fun fact day. Right, so before we get too off topic, let's move back to the genomic healthcare revolution. So we're going to have another quick break, but in the next part, we're going to tell you about the UK government's Genome UK strategy. 
Okay, for the last part of this episode, let's introduce Genome UK. So Genome UK is a UK government strategy published three years ago in 2020 with an overarching aim to create the most advanced genomic healthcare system in the world. Well, sounds very good, right? It does. You can read the strategy for Genome UK on the government website, which we'll share a link to the show notes. Yeah, so let's explain exactly what Genome UK involves. It focuses on three main areas, which they call pillars. I think it's quite mm-hmm. poetic. So pillar one is improving the diagnosis of patients and personalizing medicine. Pillar two is disease prevention and public health. And pillar three is research. That's where right. we come in. Yeah, let's start with pillar one, though, of diagnosis and personalized medicine. The idea is to incorporate the latest genomic advances into routine healthcare to improve the diagnosis, stratification and treatment of illness. Yes, I think we could talk for a lot of time about this, but luckily we have a podcast, so it's going to be coming up (laughs) on the next episodes. But a couple of quick examples to give some context. So first, on the idea of stratification, just one example is type 2 diabetes, which affects something like half a billion people across the globe. And recent studies have shown that there are five or six distinct subgroups amongst people who are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Yeah, so even though they were all diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and their symptoms looked very much similar, the DNA differences could be used to group people and the groups actually had differences in their risks of complications and which treatments would work best for them. For example, kidney complications were more common amongst one group. Yeah, so this level of personalization and stratification can allow better precision medicine and treatments for patients. Okay, so let's move on to pillar two, disease prevention and public health. So this will cover screening in early life. And if you're not familiar with what screening is, don't worry, as we're going to talk about this in the next episode, which is going to be on the Newborn Genome Screening Project. The idea is to detect signs of a health condition in people before symptoms arise, allowing for earlier effective treatment. Oh, I've got another example here. So there has been some nice research showing that we can identify people at a particularly high risk of breast cancer based on their DNA variants. And this is practical information because it means that people with the very highest risk can be offered specific follow-ups like annual mammogram tests. Yes, that's a really good one. We should have an episode on that as well. Yeah, of course. And the third aim, oh, you're looking me, yeah, sorry, pillar. The third pillar pillar of Genome UK will support research related to healthcare. And that's where basically we come in. The DNA detectives. The DNA detectives, yeah, that's right. This will include (laughs) gathering data and building the infrastructure to safely store the data, using it responsibly and ensuring diversity, so overcoming historical ethical biases. So all of these aims are ultimately designed to improve the well-being of people. And it's also worth mentioning that there is some motivation to make healthcare spending more efficient, so saving money where it can be saved, and spending it in better places by using our knowledge to improve public health in general and prevent diseases. It's really interesting to think about the changes in public health over the last century or two. So in the first half of the 20th century, we had infections which were very prevalent and were basically the leading cause of death. So things like tuberculosis, polio, smallpox, but now we have better sanitation, we have better medicine, and of course our secret weapon which are vaccines. So these are no longer the leading causes of death. Uh, Yeah, I see where you're going with this. So these days, the top causes of mortality in England are influenza and pneumonia, dementia and Alzheimer's, heart disease and cancer, particularly, I think, lung and colon cancer. Yep. So we're much better at fighting outside threats now, like bacteria, 
but but the threat has shifted from infections to basically living longer and our DNA plays a much more important role in who will develop conditions like diabetes and Alzheimer's. Yeah, so since many of these, I guess, more modern health conditions involve our DNA, it's so important to carry out the research so that we understand exactly what's going on and we can use that knowledge to better predict who's at risk and to offer those personalised treatments and preventative healthcare plans as well. Yep, this really is the era of personalised medicine. There are already many examples of where a DNA test can give patients an accurate diagnosis, identify people at a very high risk of conditions such as cancer, and identify which drugs and treatments will work best for them and which won't. Yes, so we will continue to talk about this in future episodes, but I think we should leave it there for today. So we'll talk more about Genome UK and this genomic healthcare revolution in the next episodes. So please do keep an eye out, or I suppose an ear out, because we're a podcast. It's a podcast, Uh, For episode two, where I've said it before, we're going to discuss the UK's newborn genome screening study. So please do message us. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to tweet us at DNANPod to let us know your thoughts, including what you found interesting from today's episode, what you want to know more about, or just say hi. As a reminder, we will have a small competition on our Twitter page with a chance to win the popular science novel The Gene to celebrate the release of the very first episode. Yes, so if you like the first episode of the DNA and podcast, and we hope you do, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. Thank you again to the UK Genetic Society for supporting this podcast. We have been your hosts. I'm Hannah. And I'm Angelos. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.